Welcome to Ottawa Valley Vineyard, where we simply want to help you encounter Jesus, be transformed, and share his love. You know, as I was thinking about the sermon, thinking about the message uh, here, one of the big issues that we are wrestling with, I think in this time, many of us have sort of gone through uh, job challenges or transitions in the way our workplace is happening or working from home or kids having to do school at home or kids not doing school at home and having all kinds of idle time, all of the struggles. And the picture I sort of have for us is like this picture uh, of the queen. Now, this is a picture from a year ago. This isn't a COVID-19 uh, picture, but the queen is here. And she's kind of like peeking out her window. And I think that's kind of like the place that we're all in as we feel a little bit out of control. We're in our little homes, but there are things, big things, forces, factors outside of us and around us that are impacting our lives. And it's like we're kind of peeking out the windows waiting for like the tanks to roll down the street and further you know, in-home enforcement to happen or whatever it is. It's just a crazy time when we're not in control. And what I want to do this morning is I want to look at a moment in Jesus' life, and we're tracking on right after uh, last week's story of the Garden of Gethsemane. We're going into the moments that immediately follow that. And it's the moment of Jesus' arrest, and it's a moment where it will seem like, from the outside looking in, like he is losing control and losing freedom. But what we're going to see as we look at the story is that he's really uh, got a lot more um, going on than we know. But we're just going to let the scriptures unpack themselves and, and dig into it. I want to start by reading the text. We're in John this time. Uh, one of the things that's really cool about some of these stories in the Old Te- or in the New Testament is that uh, they're in all three Gospels and in different uh, slightly different forms. So uh, Matthew will tell you a part of the story, and he'll emphasize bits that are really interesting to him. Uh, Mark will tell the story, Luke will tell the story, and John will tell the story. And if you bring and weave those uh, four Gospels together, you really get a big picture of what's going on, but you have to anchor your text somewhere. So we're going to anchor in the book of John. I just want to read this to us, and uh, we'll, we'll go from there. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with the lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Crazy stuff. Uh, So he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken of those whom you gave me. I have lost not one. So he asked them, then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. I shall not drink the cup that the father, or shall I not drink the cup that the father has given me? So we're just going to unpack that. That's just a lot to digest. We're going to take it verse by verse and just look at how this story weaves together. I want to start though, uh, with just a little bit in of a strange place. This is uh, happy 
uh, Happy from Iron Man and from the Avengers uh, series. And he is this character in the stories that is kind of out of control, kind of ditzy, kind of doesn't have it together. Uh, he's Tony Stark's friend, and he just moves throughout the plot, uh, just kind of bringing comic relief and, and all of that. He's out, out of control, but what you don't know about uh, Happy is he's actually John Favreau, the director of Iron Man 1 and of a number of films. And so this is a guy uh, who is in the show and directing the show. And this is an image that I want you to have uh, for where Jesus sits in this story. Here's Jesus on the night he is betrayed, on the night he is about to be arrested and, and put in prison. And it looks like he's out of control, but I want you to see that he's really directing the show. So we're just going to pick up, uh, we're going to read a little bit of verse one. We're going to return to verse one at the very end and wrap it up there. So we're going to do verse one and verse two, and just notice some things as we go through. First of all, there was a garden. Uh, so this is happening at night immediately uh, after Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, and uh, he's there with his disciples. They've prayed. He's wept uh, tears of blood. Uh, he's uh, been in great consternation, praying that the Father would take the cup from him. He says, not my will, but yours be done. And ultimately surrenders uh, to uh, the plan that God has for him to endure the cross. And says, so at that moment, Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. I want to just notice that at the beginning, that the person who betrayed him is a person who knew him. That word betrayal uh, is a word that, in the Greek, that is paradidomai, and it's a compound word that means close beside, that's what para means, and didomai means handover. So it's like a, a a handover from close beside, somebody who's like really close to you, uh, just feeds you uh, and and betrays you and throws you under the bus. It's like you're standing close to somebody on the street corner and boom, they throw you under the bus. And you can't do that if you're a long way away. And so I want to just notice that uh, right there that Jesus has actually given Judas this place in his life. Uh, Jesus has had Judas called him a disciple, walked with him. Judas has had control of the money bag, the purse, the whole deal. And, uh, and Jesus has installed Judas in a place where Judas can betray him. Um, and so we look at it from Judas's perspective, and he sort of knows uh, that they're about to meet there. He knows that they meet in those places. And uh, that intimacy and that knowledge that Judas has with Jesus isn't what is giving him control in the situation. In fact, he doesn't have control of it. Uh, and I'm supposed to say things like this in the sermon for all the youth that are listening, because I'm a hip, cool person who knows youth language. I'm told that I'm supposed to engage you by saying, you may think Jesus is goat, but he is... Uh, he it may not be what you need to control him, to get him to do what you want. If Jesus is the greatest of all time, that's not enough to get you what you need to control him. So I have just used hip, cool youth language for Thomas more Crispin so that he would know that I'm cool and hip and, and impressive. So I wanted to just help you out with that. Um, and if we go on with the story, uh, there is a garden. They're in the garden. Uh, Judas knew the place, but Jesus chose the place. Again, Jesus, uh, if he had not wanted this to happen, he did not have to be there. He didn't have to be in the garden. He didn't have to be uh, going back to Gethsemane. He could have hid. He could have been anywhere. But he went a place where he knew that Judas could find him. Uh, the knowledge that Judas had uh, did not give him control. You may know what's up but it is not enough to control the story uh, that Jesus has for your life. And we often look to that as people when we are feeling out of control and we are feeling nervous. We don't know what's happening. 
your first instinct in this moment is to look at uh, all the memes on Instagram and Facebook and surf the news and try to figure it out and gain knowledge. But knowledge actually will will give you something. It'll give you a, a little bit of peace, maybe a little bit of calm, but maybe it's not enough knowledge to give you peace and calm. You don't know what's really going on. And, uh, and you're ultimately not going to find control of the situation by knowing what's happening to you. You're just going to know what's happening to you. Um, so that control that comes with knowledge, I think for us in many cases, is an illusion. It goes on in the story of Judas. It says this, Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Judas had resources and he had an organization. Uh, this is like, you sort of imagine like this sort of angry mob that's kind of milling about with clubs and grab your torch and pitch, pitchforks and, and, and go in there and try to take him out. But these are officers who are controlling soldiers. This is an ordered military organization. Uh, Judas procured this group of people. So he went to somebody and said, can I have permission to use these soldiers. This is the purpose for which I want to use them. This is what we need to pay them. We've got to organize this, structure it, make it happen. We want good soldiers, not bad soldiers, presumably. He uh, wanted this to be done and to done well. He had all of that. You need to know that resources don't give you control. Ultimately, in this story, the resources that Judas brought to bear were not enough to control the pathway that Jesus was on. The bling don't mean a thing. Thomas Moore Crispin. Just thought you should know that. I'm so cool. Um, Yeah. So now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss. Now we're jumping to something that Matthew's brought into the story. Now the betrayer had given them a sign. So he'd arranged something with the soldiers. The one that I kiss is the man, seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he said, he went up to the rabbi um, at once and said, rabbi, and he kissed him. So he made the plan, the signal for the soldiers to arrest Jesus. He executed the plan, and that plan was designed to keep Judas's role in this whole thing secret. Judas was play-acting, not for the soldiers. They were in on it. He was play-acting for the disciples, so he wanted to betray Jesus, but he didn't want his friends to know that he had betrayed Jesus, right? So he had a secret design, a secret plan. He had things going on uh, in the background, and you need to know that secrets... Don't give you control. You uh, look at your life and you look at everything that's going on. Um, you think that maybe because you have a part of your life that you're able to keep separate, uh, maybe you have a separate Instagram account from your parents, uh, a Finsta, and uh, you uh, don't, they don't know that, but that's your own separate life for communicating with your friends. But those secrets don't actually give you real control. They don't give you authority. Jesus has control. Jesus has authority in your life. Uh, and you just can't keep your secrets on the low key. You can't do it. I, I, that, am I cool? Somebody give me some feedback. I hope in the chat windows the young people today are saying I'm cool. I'm totally not cool. Coolest pastor ever. Okay, that's great. Cool. That's good. Um, So intimacy doesn't give us control. Knowledge doesn't give us true control. Resources don't give us control. Secrets don't give us control. And we're going to just see uh, how that all sort of comes together uh, as as all of these sort of things that Judas brings to bear. Jesus is going to uh, show us how he's actually in control. And we go back a step to John 13 to see that. Uh, When Jesus had dipped the bread, now this is back to the story of the Last Supper. When Jesus had dipped the morsel, the bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. 
Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. And Jesus said to him, do what you are going to do quickly. And it's just an interesting little piece of grammar there. He's talking to Judas. He's saying, um, here, Judas, you have this bread. Satan enters into Judas. And then when he says, uh, what you are about to do, do quickly, he's saying what you both are about to do, what you guys, what you all y'all are about to do, do quickly. And so Jesus gives uh, Judas permission to betray him. Jesus knows absolutely what's going on in this moment. And he gives the enemy permission to betray him. And he states the terms in terms of how it will happen. And this is just something that I've just seen floating around a little bit in, in social media. And it's just some fear of the enemy, just some fear of Satan's work in the world uh, as we're worried about COVID-19 and all of the different things that can, that can go on. And there's this sort of this rising fear that the enemy is at work in the world. You need to know that the devil is God's devil, um, that he is a created being. This just theologically, he is not like God is here and the devil is here and you've got two equal powers duking it out over the earth. You have the devil here and God way up here. Uh, the devil is uh, God's devil, belongs to him, uh, a servant, literally a rebellious servant all the same, but a servant of Almighty God. So don't let the glorification of the enemy uh, be something that happens uh, in your life. Satan doesn't have control, so don't be shook. Don't be shook like Satan does not have control over your life. Uh, that's not where the power and the authority are. Uh, Jesus uh, goes on. He says he knows uh, all that would happen he, to him, he came forward and said to them, whom do you see? Now, I want to tie this back a couple of verses. Um, now, Judas came and secretly, with the secret code, kissed Jesus and identified Jesus to the soldiers. Jesus stepped completely around that plan. The soldiers knew the cue. The soldiers got the cue. Jesus stepped around the plan and said, hey, soldiers, who do you seek? And what he's doing there is he's putting responsibility on the soldiers, like not just who Ju did Judas tell you to seek, who uh, religious leaders, who Sadducees, who uh, officers, who soldiers, all of you here in this group who are here for me, who did you come to seek? And, uh, and Jesus, of course, uh, says, it, says it's him. He was fully acquainted with the plan that Judas had. He knew what was going on, and he just circumvented it when it suited him. And you need to know that, that our plans, uh, our uh, schemes, our ways of setting things out, uh, they might be good. Like, like planning isn't a bad thing at all. Like, it's a good thing. We planned out this service really well. But we need to know, and we need to have a humble aspect that says that Jesus can circumvent our plans according to his will anytime he wants the Holy Spirit can show up and speak and do what the Holy Spirit wants to do because he is God. And so we take all of our plans and we hold them loosely. And if planning is your drug to give you more control, you need to step back a little bit and say, hey, Jesus, um, are you leading me? Are you speaking to me? Our plans don't give us control. A uh, story goes on. Jesus answered him, uh, I'm the one that you're seeking. Jesus of Nazareth is the one that you're after, um, is what they said. And Jesus said to them, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with him. And when Jesus said that I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. And this is just a huge expression of Jesus' power in the moment. 
Like they came, uh, they identified him as the one that they wanted to arrest. And he knew that he was ultimately going to arrest them, but he just thought he'd give them a little knock around first just to make sure they knew who was boss, I think. Like why else did that happen in the text? Or maybe it was just simply a conflict of the supreme sovereignty and power of God that was indwelling Jesus, that when they stepped towards him, they just couldn't pull it off. They just lost their strength and fell to the ground um, because they knew that that he was ultimately the authority, or they sensed it, or they felt it, or just nature uh, let it be true, almost like when nature caused the earth uh, to shake uh, when Jesus uh, died on the cross. So the soldiers had clubs and swords, but no amount of force or strength or power could direct the steps of Jesus. And we often rely on our strength in times like this when we feel out of control. We rely on our might. We rely on our ability. And that's God-given sometimes. Like, we have strength and ability, but that strength and ability is something that we have to act within the plan of God and to not act out our own plans apart from God. You can flex all you want. You can flex all you want. And it is not going to avail you much in terms of uh, making the plan of God uh, be derailed in your life or in anybody else's life. Uh, We're jumping to Luke 22, another piece that Luke has brought into the story. Then Simon Peter, uh, having a sword, drew it and stuck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. So Peter, like, remember, he's a crazy passionate guy. Uh, He steps up and he's like, I'm going to defend Jesus with all my might. He pulls the sword, whacks off the high priest's ear, and Jesus rebukes Peter and ultimately heals the ear. Uh, Healing, uh, sickness, uh, brokenness doesn't have authority over Jesus. Just a side note, like we should probably do some healing prayer. Stop the meeting right now. Like Jesus has authority over sickness. Jesus has authority over injury, authority over death. If you are wrestling with limitations in doing what Jesus called you to do and you feel like those limitations are forced on you uh, by a physical thing that you can't do. You need to be praying and saying, hey, Jesus, is there a way I can fulfill this calling that you have for me Um, through your healing power or through uh, endurance or through something that moves me forward? Don't see yourself as too limited. Then Simon Peter uh, you know, hit this priest with the sword, cut his ear off, Jesus heals it, and Jesus sort of pauses the show at this point. This is Matthew bringing something else into the story. He's sort of rebuking Peter, and he's saying, like, listen, dude, you don't need your sword. Like, do you not know that I could call down 12 legions of angels, 70,000 angels uh, Jesus could have at his command to deal with the situation? He's again, uh, the authors of these stories are looking at this moment where Jesus seems like he's losing control, where he's losing his freedom, and they're making it absolutely clear that this is something that he has done absolutely by choice. Angels don't have control. Uh, So Jesus says to Peter, put your sword into its sheath, and he just shuts him down. And, you know, it's just an interesting piece about the life of Peter. Uh, In just a few verses, Peter is going to deny Jesus with the same amount of passion with which he uh, struck off the high priest's ear. Do you get that right? Like passionately defending Jesus in the moment, cut off the high priest's ear, and then just verses later, he is passionately denying that he's ever known Jesus. Uh, Peter's a person who is uh, emotional. He's a person who's driven by his passions. And what you need to know is that your passion doesn't provide control. For you. 
Maybe that's your drug. Maybe that's what you use to try to take control of your, your world. Maybe it's the expression of anger. Maybe it's this need for freedom, or maybe it's just angst that's driving you, whatever it is. And that's what makes you feel in control. And that's what makes you feel good. And we know that people use their anger to help them uh, feel in control. That's a, that's a piece of how some of us are wired. But you need to know that going aggro doesn't cut it. It totally doesn't cut it. It's not... Uh, what gives you control? In fact, anger like that uh, takes you out of control, spins you out of control, and uh, and actually causes pain for yourself and causes pain uh, for others. That's not the answer. And after all of that, Jesus has addressed Judas, and he's addressed Peter, and he's addressed the soldiers. Uh, he's talked about angels and the whole deal. Uh, and then he says to the chief priests and officers of the temple and the elders, so now he's talking to the authorities. He says this to them, he says, when I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me, saying you could not lay hands on me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness, the hour of the power of darkness. And Jesus is saying, like, this is the time I've carved out for you to run wild. And you wouldn't be running wild if I hadn't set out this time for you to do that. You could have taken me out at any time. And we need to see, like so many, I mean, so many of us right now are just looking to our government. We're looking at Trump. We're looking at Trudeau. We're looking at uh, whatever, you know, G8 leaders or G7 leaders meeting together to decide on a statement around coronavirus. And they can't decide on it because uh, one of the leaders wants to call it the Wuhan virus. And so the whole deal's off. Like, are, is your authority there? Is your trust really there? Is your trust in Trudeau? Is your trust in Trump? Is your trust in uh, in our local politicians? Of course, we want to respect them, but we have to recognize that the authority that they have was authority that was delegated to them by God. And that's why later in the scriptures, in, in Paul's writings, we, we know that we're supposed to pray for authorities in our lives, but it's because what we're really doing is praying that God's will be done through them. They were put in place by God as his agents, and we need to recognize the sovereignty of God so the government isn't in control any more than our passions are control. So we look at this huge list of things, intimacy, knowledge, secrets, resources, Satan, plans, strength, sickness, passion, angels, government, or corrupt authorities. I mean, this was a corrupt authority that came to arrest Jesus. It was, it was illegal for them to arrest somebody at night or to do trials at night. And they came in the dead of night in secret to arrest him. Like they were, it was an illegal arrest and an illegal trial that happened. You look it up sometime. There's like 12 things that they did that were outside of Jewish law in terms of the trial uh, with Jesus. Um, none of those things have ultimate control. Now, some of them are good things. Having intimacy with Jesus, that's a good thing, but it doesn't give you control over him. Having knowledge of Jesus, that's a good thing. That doesn't give you control. Having your secrets, uh, that's not a good thing. Uh, resources, those are good things, but they don't give you control. So all of these things are, are things that give us a sense of having uh an ability to be in charge. They make us think that we're the director of the play, but the reality is we're not. Jesus is in control. And in this story, he was in control from the very beginning. We see repeated through the story in various places that he did all of this so that the scriptures would be fulfilled. So the scriptures written by God in ages past, the path that Jesus was walking on to see that his will was fulfilled in the earth. And he wove this incredible thing together. Uh, we are mere actors on a stage. 
we can change the inflection in our voice and we can bring some expression to the role, but be not too haughty. Jesus is the director and he runs the show. That's just counsel uh, for us. And I think it's maybe a good image of, for us to understand those big questions of what sovereignty and human freedom uh, looks like. Like we have uh, the freedom maybe to change the expression on our face, maybe to choose uh, the song we sing as we walk out what God's called us to do. We don't know how that works in terms of to what level our, our actions are controlled. There's theological debates that go on about that. I'm not going to answer that, but I think it's a safe analogy to say that our role in this story is much, much, much smaller than we think. And that Jesus is, is working out a big plan, and it's a plan that is ultimately for our good. This leaves us just this question. Uh, what is the director like, and, and what's the plot? Like, what's he really all about? What's he really all about? And to just capture that, I just want to go back to the first verse in our text, uh, to John chapter 18, uh, verse 1. You remember that uh, Jesus was in the garden and said when he had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the book, Brook Kidron. So actually he was up in the uh, upper room with his disciples. They'd had the Last Supper, and he goes out across the Kidron Valley. And I want us to notice the significance of the Kidron Valley here and how Jesus crossed it and what was maybe going through his mind as he did. Uh, the Kidron Valley is a valley that is between um, the Temple Mountain. Um, you have to go down through the valley. I've actually uh, walked uh, down there and seen that. And you walk up the other side and you can see um, you know, Gethsemane and uh, the place where Jesus prayed and ultimately on to Bethany and on to Bethlehem. Um, but Jesus was uh, in that place, and, and in his ministry, he walked back and forth it a couple of times. But I want to look to the Old Testament to see some significant things that happened there. Um, first, I want us to notice uh, there were times of revival in the Old Testament. Um, and we see one in 2 Kings 23, 6. Um, but we see it in the life of Asa, we see it in the life of Hezekiah, in the life of Josiah, when the, the kings of, of Judah and Israel had fallen into depravity and had Baals, and, uh, which, are, which is a kind of idol, and Asherahs all installed, that they were really a living in a craven, brutal, depraved way, but there were these moments of revival. And this is the kind of thing that's described in some of these moments of revival. Uh, this is uh, Josiah's revival. It says, he brought the Asherah from the house of the Lord. So they had an idol installed right in the house of the Lord. He brought it from the house of the Lord and burned it at the Brook Kidron and beat it into dust. The Brook Kidron was a place of refuse where all over throughout history, garbage was thrown where the idols were destroyed and beaten into dust and burned into ash. And so when Jesus crossed the Kidron and looking back to Palm Sunday, which we're going to talk about next week, he crossed the Kidron Valley as a king, uh, literally bringing revival to the nation of Israel and trampling idols under his feet. Uh, the people in that moment were able to see who he was and praise him. Uh, Hail, King Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Come into our city. Come and be welcome. And he enters into, a come, uh, into the city as a, as a king. And we see uh, the, book of Kid, or the, the book of Kidron a little bit later in the story of Absalom's betrayal. And this is just an incredible connection. Um, it says this, And all the land wept aloud as the people passed by. 
and the king crossed the brook Kidron. Now, this comes out of the story of David. Uh, he was betrayed by, by another person who had, had sought to take the kingship. Somebody had sort of stood at the gates of the city and offered judgments for people and earned their favor. And eventually Absalom came into the city and sort of proclaimed himself as king. And David could have fought. But uh, what he decided to do in that moment was to... Um, just bow out and to, and to walk out of the city. And, it, and it's like it says, this is all the land wept aloud as the people passed by and the king crossed the book of Kidron. And we see uh, Psalm 3 that we read earlier was written in that time, and that's why we read it. Um, we wanted to see that story of uh, David just coming into that place of brokenness and woundedness and and weeping and then where it says where he came and we look at this in in psalm 41 um just tying all of these pieces together that where he actually came we think he came was actually to the garden of gethsemane and we think in i mean i mean i think it's a bit of a stretch but but there's some people who really believe that it's possible that David actually wrote Psalm 3 or Psalm 41 on the site where Jesus wept and prayed, not my will, but yours be done. And this is what he wrote in Psalm 41. He said this, even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. That sounds like words that could be spoken from David's mouth about Absalom or Jesus' mouth about Judas. So Jesus then crossed the Kidron uh, to Gethsemane. He came betrayed and weeping, about to drink the cup of God's wrath. That's the story that Jesus is telling. That he's about to take a sin upon himself. And moments later, he's arrested and he crosses the Kidron Valley, Valley back into Jerusalem again. And we know that that valley was the place where the drains from the sacrifices of the temple were poured out. This is from records from uh, Josephus. It's the place of the blood of the Passover lambs. And it's said that at the time of Passover, in and around the time of Jesus, there could be as many as 250,000 lambs slaughtered for the sins of the people. And so we can imagine Jesus walking through uh, this uh, valley, uh, this black and gloomy valley. That's what Kidron means, where the stones are stained with blood. And just imagine it present to him as he walks back across the Kidron under arrest, knowing that he is the Lamb of God who is about to take away the sins of the world. He crossed under arrest and he came as the Passover Lamb. And he crossed for you and he crossed for me. Bound and in chains. And so if you worry about this director who I'm telling you is absolutely in control and we don't know what suffering, what pain, what struggle is ahead for us. You need to know that the one who has directed this show is directing it in such a way that ultimately all pain and all suffering comes upon himself. He's the director who lives in this story and carries the whole weight of it in his love for you and in his mercy. And Jesus crossed the Kidron one more time. And this was after his resurrection. He'd come back into the city. He'd met with his disciples in the upper room. Thomas has put his hands in Jesus' side uh, to, to have his doubt uh, taken away. And they walk out together. 
It says, And Jesus led them out as far as Bethany, and to get from Jerusalem to Bethany, they had to go again through the Kidron Valley. Uh, lifting up his hands, he blessed them and parted from them and carried, was carried up into heaven. And so he crossed the Kidron Valley um, after his resurrection. So he crossed... as the risen victorious king, to reign forever and ever, seated at the right hand of the Father as an intercessor for you. That's where he is in the story right now. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, who has all things under his feet, working all things together for your good. So whatever suffering you are enduring, whatever pain you are enduring, whatever struggle you are enduring, Jesus is enduring it with you. And he is leading you through, uh, ultimately, if you will track with him and you will follow with him to a place of glory, to a place of hope, and his Holy Spirit coming, the intercessor coming alongside you to comfort you and bless you and be with you and be near you. And we just simply, simply have to follow uh, the lead of the one who's directing the show. So that's what we want to pray about this morning. I know it's a bit more uh, uh, time in the Word than we, we've spent before, but I think it's just worth it to engage in, in such a rich, rich story. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of Ottawa Valley Vineyard, visit ovv.ca.